This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. I'm really excited uh, to bring you today's guest, Keenan Beasley, the CEO of Supply Factory Brands. He's an entrepreneur, investor, and veteran. And, you know, I'd love to talk to him about this idea of entrepreneurship. I think it's really important in today's day, uh, today's times. It's just an important topic to discuss. And I love people who come up with ideas and really just, I love diving into this idea of, you know, you come up with something and how do you take it from uh, idea to actually action? And um, and so I'm excited to talk to Keenan today. Keenan, welcome to the Resilient Life Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So let's talk a little bit about your background. I got connected with you um, because our chief of programs, Janae uh, Nash, is um, went to West Point with you. Yeah. And so, you know, we were talking about um, just, we were talking about entrepreneurship. And I said, I'd love to find uh, a, a really young, dynamic entrepreneur to uh, interview. And she said, I have the perfect person. And so she connected me with you. But one of the things is I was looking through um, and looking through your background. One of the things I saw over and over again is that you you talk a lot about this desire to live a life of purpose. And what do you think sparked that early on? Was that something that was instilled in you from your parents or where did that come from? Yeah, I think it was definitely instilled from my parents, um, first and foremost. But um you know, you, you learn purpose through teamwork, especially being an athlete and a football player growing up. And then I think as you go to West Point, it just continues, right? That is the mantra, right? We, we exist to serve the public, right? The greater good. Um, and, and some of us, as, as, as we all know, make the ultimate sacrifice for the good of the nation, right? And of the world. So it's, it's very much instilled in us all the way through. Um, and so I've had that from birth all the way through now. So it was just a kind of my my uh, my normal state, actually. It's interesting because I talk a lot about living a life of purpose, and it's something that I try to impress upon people that you know, regardless of what you're doing, you know, even if you're working a nine to five job that pays fifteen dollars an hour and is just putting food on the table for your family, you have to find something within your life that finds you purpose. Yeah. And it may yeah. not be your job. It may have to be something extracurricular, but find that purpose. And, but what I also talk about in the idea of finding purpose, and I always say, I feel incredibly um, blessed and lucky that my purpose is found through the work I do at the Travis Manning Foundation. So I'm able to wake up every day and, and feel a sense of purpose through my professional career not everybody has that. And I get that. Um, but beyond that, I also talk a lot about this idea that like, I wasn't living a life of purpose prior to my brother's death. Mm -hmm. And it really took a 
a tragedy for me, losing my brother uh, in Iraq in 2007, for me to make that switch to say, I need to live a life of purpose. I need to find a purpose and passion in my life. And, and a lot of times people will say to me, well, do you think you would have found that, that sense of purpose had Travis not been killed? And I don't know the answer to that. Maybe, maybe not, you know, uh, uh, because I didn't know it was missing until after he was gone. So I love the idea that that was always within you. That was always instilled in you. And I think, you know, I, I try to say, don't wait until you have to make that change. Don't wait till something uh, tragic happens, until you're faced with tr having to come overcome adversity to say, okay, where am I going to find that purpose from in my life? And, and initially, the way you intended to live out that purpose was by serving in the military, to which prompted you to pursue um, a degree at West Point. Yeah. And tell me about that decision. Uh, what about the military equaled uh, purpose to you? You know, I, I will say I have to give all the credit to my dad, <laughs> actually, on that one. He was he was pretty much the big driver of me going to West Point. Um, and I think, you know, as, as a high school athlete and, and recruited athlete, you look for great football programs. Of course, that's a thing. But then you look for what's the balance, right? What's your backup plan? Making sure you go to a place that has a great um, academic background as well. And I think the way that my dad looked at it is, you know, it was like this three-headed monster, right? It was a great football program and history and tradition, incredible academics, um, you know, being ranked one of the top schools in the world. But then you have this leadership institution that helps propel people even further um, in their careers, you know, post-graduation in their adult life. So that was the big driver for me. And, and I think, you know, the aspect about the Army What's always cool is the army is just, it teaches you to serve, right? Serve people. And I think that's what I was always taught. And, you know, that's from, you know, my faith standpoint, I exist to serve the world, right? And to make, you know, to leave a, an, an imprint on society um, beyond my, my time here, right? That's legacy building. And I think that's what West Point's all about. That's what the army's all about. And I think a lot of us are drawn to that, that idea of the mission, and, and I think that's what's amazing. And I, you know, I tell this to everyone, everyone doesn't have to be an entrepreneur, but at least try to find an organization where you believe strongly in that mission and that vision and that purpose. And it is absolutely great to join that. You know, some of us that are, that are founders or, you know, entrepreneurs and you come upon that vision through sometimes tragedy, through sometimes observation, through whatever it is, um, our job then is to passionately convey that to the organization and hopefully inspire them to want to join and continue to follow and build it. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's an honor and a privilege. And I think that's what it's like to serve. And that's what every veteran will say. Um, and I think that's what every founder or CEO will also say. I love that. And I love how you were talking about, you don't have to be an entrepreneur um, uh, to, to find that purpose and passion. And one of our values at, at my organization is purpose begins with passion. And, you know, we instill that in everyone that works for our organization. Like in order to find that purpose, you have to have a passion for the work that we're doing. Yeah. And, and we always say, you know, we like to approach, our organization has been around for 13 years now, right? And we are one of a, a, a nationally recognized veteran serving organization, one of the largest in the country. But I always say, I, 
I want to make sure that we always are approaching it with that entrepreneurial spirit, that we're not becoming this big bureaucratic organization. Every day, you know, we are looking for how we can be disruptors in the space, how we can change, how we can affect positive change, and always thinking of ourselves as that small little organization that we were at the beginning. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's the beauty a lot of times of what we're able to do. You know, we are not fully just set in our ways and saying, this is what we do and we don't shift, we don't change. And, um, you know, it's fared us uh, well so far and, and we continue to operate like that. But that's one of my favorite values at an organization is just that purpose begins with passion. Yeah. Um, yeah. You guys, you guys do stuff that, you know, I, I admire, especially, um, and I think everyone who's, who's building a company, even in the for-profit side, has to think about it. And it's, you know, if you can remember to bring your end user into the room, into the conversation, into the office, into the work, it keeps you really humble because yeah. you know it's not about you. It's about those folks that you're trying to impact. Um, and I think you guys do it so well, obviously, as a foundation. It's something that my foundation's trying to work at, you know, at Venture Noir, uh, but it's also what we do in the for-profit side, ensuring that that customer, that person, right, and their full self is in our room when we make decisions and truly keeps us humble. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to talk to you a little bit about your entrepreneurship. Well, I want to talk to you a lot about that. Um, You've served in leadership positions in a number of high-profile Fortune 500 companies um, after uh, you left West Point, uh, all of which were formed within the health and beauty industry. And then in 2014, you formed Black Box. Tell us about that experience. Yeah, you know, that that experience was very um, serendipitous. I, honestly, I was one of those people that got promoted maybe too fast. Um, and I tell everyone that you have to, you have to watch out for that because you have a lot of fun at the junior level. When, when you, when you rise in organizations, it becomes very administrative. Um, and I don't think everyone knew that, you know, you, um, you look at these titles and, and you can get envious of the title, but I always say the best work in, in marketing, especially is at the like brand manager and assistant brand manager level. Once you get up to vice president, it's, um, it's not as cool. <laughs> so, so a little bit for me, I was, you know, a 29, 30 year old vice president. And I just felt like I had gotten away from the work and I still wanted to do that. I still wanted to impact um, consumer behaviors. I wanted to create, you know, better products, better insights, um, bring the humanity back I was getting lost. And that's what led us to start Black Box. And I started with another West Point grad. Um, she was a year older and, and we came together kind of on a data aspect and then the creativity pulled the worlds together to, to create breakthrough strategies um, to just change the behavior of marketing and, and even the look of marketing. So we did that for five years and, and had an awesome time across some amazing clients. You know, we got to work with everything from Facebook to Western Union to Nike to everyone in between. So um, it was really cool to just kind of creatively flex that muscle. So tell us what Black Box is. Yeah, so so Black Box and 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 we decided to pivot out of Black Box um, about two and a half years ago. Um, but but the time that we created Black Box, it was really better suited. It was the data driven agency, advertising agency. Um, but what it was is we were looking at how was society influenced, because I think there's a lot of things where we, 
you almost get addicted into marketing now. It's about just conversions, right? So you're looking at managing all the conversions. And so everything is a pay-per-click kind of model. And, and that's cool, but you miss some of how consumers are influenced, right? How do we actually impact and change behavior? And those are different metrics. Those are softer sentiment-driven metrics. And that's what we built the agency off of. So there's hard data and then there's the soft. We chose to focus on the soft to actually build better campaigns. And like I said, bring the humanity back into marketing and advertising. Awesome. And then, and then you really want to take an active role from there in helping black entrepreneurs. And um, I think it's fair to say that a lot of our audience may not be familiar with certain obstacles that black entrepreneurs face. So tell us why that was important to you. Tell us about some of those obstacles and, and what you were looking to overcome. Yeah. I mean, you know, on on my journey of entrepreneurship, you know, I, I did what a lot of minority entrepreneurs do. And frankly, just a lot of entrepreneurs in general, I started a service business because it doesn't require a lot of startup capital. Right? In, in a service business, you kind of just, you know, eat what you kill. You, you, you literally just, you, you go through the sales cycle, you get the revenue and you constantly reinvest. Um, certain businesses require much more capital uh, startup. And, and those, are the, those are the entities in the businesses where you see immense wealth creation. So when you look at that, that's where you get the Amazons, the Facebook. Um, what's required of those businesses is they need a lot of engineering support frankly. Um, And they need that engineering support before they get sales. So that means they have to raise capital before they start. Um, But when those businesses scale, obviously, that's where the profits come. That's where the intense exit value. When I looked at that, I said, you know, we're not finding a lot of entrepreneurs of color getting into those spaces because where do they go to get that first dollar, that first investment? Friends and family is typically where a lot of people go. That initial circle. Well, when you look at, you know, the median income of a black family at around 17,000, well, there's nothing to invest. There is no friends and family. They're not accredited investors. They can't participate in that round based on SEC laws. So then you go to and you say, what about bank loans? Well, we know there's over $100 billion in discrepancies of bank loans because of the elimination of community banks, right? That's what happened when you remove neighborhood banks and you put, you know, some of these larger corporate banks in place. So now there's a money gap that we have to solve for. Um, But for me, again, right, typical army guy, well, what's that money for, (laughs) right? There's gotta be, there's another why. Well, that money is for resources. So as a nonprofit, what I looked at is, well, how can I build and create those resources to eliminate the need for money? Let's give what the money's for, allow people to build, get to the first sale, and now they're profitable, or at least in you know a sales-driven company, much easier to raise capital once you've gotten a little bit of revenue and some traction in place. And, and frankly, that's what Venture Noir has been been doing, and what we've you know we're we're all about. I think we've had over the last you know we've only been around eighteen months, but we've distributed well over a million dollars in resources, and and that's something I'm extremely proud of. And we'll do another ten million over the next five years. Well, I love that. And I love that idea because it's so true. You know, when you think about this idea, you know, when I look at entrepreneurship, it's about, it's taking ideas and turning them into something, right? And, and so many people have incredible ideas, but the hardest part is not necessarily the idea. It's how do you action that idea? And 
Um, so let's talk a little bit about Venture Noir. Now, when you're saying you provide those resources, so if I'm a uh, minority business owner, I have this idea, but you know, one of the things, one of the barriers I'm going to have to fight is um, working through legal documents. Um, and I know it's going to cost $5,000 for me to get that. And that doesn't, that's not part of my budget. I can't do it. Are you bringing that opportunity with like a pro bono lawyer? I'm trying to understand it. Yeah, in this whole capacity. No, no, you've nailed it. That's, that's a hundred percent it. Right. Um, because like you said, the, the goal is to take those ideas and get to implementation. And I think what a lot of us get caught up on is where to spend that first dollar. Cause there's so many things that require costs, right? There's, well, I have to get my business plan ready so that I can pitch to investors. Okay. There's a cost of that. There is, I have to get, um, make an investment into engineers or tech credits so that I can build, um, you know, my first prototype. There's a cost there. There's a legal right. structure because I have my business partners or, or other co-founders that I want to work with. And I want to make sure that our back office is set up right. So there's all these small micro costs um, in the setup. What we've done is we bring in those resources. So we bring in technologists that are willing to give some dev credits for free, right, for the group. We bring in some accountants so that we can help with financial modeling. We work with creative agencies and teams to build those first decks and get your creative design and your logo in place. We work with lawyers on a pro bono status to help set up some of those documents where we can provide you with a founder's kit, a standard template of legal documents so that you can kind of navigate through that at a minimal cost. So those are things that we do to get people over those initial hurdles. Um, but then the other thing, we go beyond that, right? The, the big issue that you have, depending on what you're building, but let's go with consumer products, is having the credit backing to be able to get the inventory necessary. So if you right. want to work with, you know, a great um, formulation company, right, to make a lotion, right, whatever goop, right, in a bottle, well, they're going to look at, well, what's your credit looking like, right? Are you backed enough? Can you handle the inventory amounts? Very, very difficult when you're doing that as an individual or at a new entity that doesn't have the business credit. So now we can help with that through the relationships that we have so that you can get over another structural hurdle that's in place for people that are really underprivileged and low income um, in the entrepreneurial space. So if there's a uh, minority small business owner out there that has this amazing idea and really the, the big barrier for them is all the things you've talked about. Where do they go to have you value if uh, they could be part of this, uh, a part of Venture Noir? Um, so tomorrow they'll actually be able to go on the website and sign up. So go to venturenoir.org um, and they'll sign up for our next cohort, which is called In the Black which is exactly that business term that you know all so well, you know, getting your business into profitability, but most importantly, getting the first sale, right? Getting that first dollar feels really, really good as an entrepreneur. It's probably the best day <laughs> that you have. Absolutely. I've seen some really cool things over the last 12 months. Um, this whole idea about entrepreneurship, about starting your own, taking your idea, turning it into action, you know, starting your own small business. One of the things that I have followed really closely is um, and, and seen just a huge jump in using social media as a free platform to market your business. And 
more so I've seen it on, I don't know if you, you're familiar with TikTok, if you've watched the TikTok platform and how it has exploded with, to the point where I have bought jewelry <laughs> off of small business owners on TikTok, which guides me to their Etsy store. And I just love that I'm seeing this idea of, again, someone who says, I may not have the money, but I've got the passion. I don't have the resources, but I've got this platform. And and again, it all gets back to that idea of where can you find resources and ways to market, to make that first sale, to get into the black. Are you seeing a lot of that? Do you guys touch on any of those types of practices um, and are recommending them to business owners? Yeah, you know, I mean, look, every every business has the same challenge, right? It's uh, find ways to get attention, right, And, and, and traffic. Um, the traffic and that volume is obviously what drives most of our, our revenue. Um, whether that's a nonprofit and you have to get in front of donors, whether that's a store owner and you need to pick the best corner for your real estate, whether that's, you know, an individual selling goop in, in a bottle, right? It's all about how, how and where do you go to get that traffic? Um, and so, yeah, we teach a lot of those tactics for, um, from a go-to-market standpoint, but what I'm more interested in um, beyond that is, is the scalability, right? And, and you need to have the right structure behind your product to scale, to create actual wealth, because uh, entrepreneurship is a vehicle to help close the wealth gap for me, right? It's, it's not that I am just so obsessed with being an entrepreneur as just a, an, an idea or a concept. It's a vehicle to help fix some societal woes. Um, and so for me, I'm very important uh, for us to understand kind of why and how we build to that, because I don't want a lot of people that are just becoming, uh, I don't even say entrepreneurs, they're just, they're hustlers, right? You're just, you're hustling online, right? And your, your business isn't going to scale, right? You're, you're making something in your kitchen, in your garage, but you couldn't put that in target because how do you make a hundred thousand units, Right. right. Or how do you get to, you know, do you have an ERP system, et cetera? So, you know, the, the things that I'm looking at is, is actually building businesses, not solopreneurs or hustlers, right? So I like that. Yeah. It's like that episode. I don't know if you watch The Office. Oh, yeah. But, right. uh, it's that episode where Michael Scott starts his own paper company. Yeah. And he marks the paper down so low and it, he brings it, they bring it in and he says, well, um, you know, how do we get bigger? And he's like, no, no, no. The more paper you sell, like the, the poorer you're going to be, like you are putting yourself out of business Losing at this money. point. Yeah. yeah. And that's, that's the big thing, right? So, you know, when I say, you know, Venture Noir exists to um, improve black business health, I'm talking about two KPIs, right? That's your, your revenue and your payroll per employee, because that's how then we put more wealth into the community, meaning more jobs, and therefore bring up and start to close the wealth gap. You frankly always need job creation, right? When we look at 41% of black owned businesses went out by April in the pandemic. Um, You know, unemployment rates were triple that of of, of white counterparts. Um, We have a thing where there's just less jobs and less revenue um, per employee and less payroll per employee. I'll I'll give you another just interesting stat for me that it's always eye-opening. When you take every white owned and ran business in the country, there's enough wealth there to employ every white person in the country with about $84,000 a year, right? Which is well above living standard, which is fantastic. Those are healthy, great businesses. If you take every black owned businesses 
they have enough revenue to pay every black person in the country $4,000 a year, well below poverty line. So those are some of the gaps in the metrics that we're looking to, to really close, all right? And what are the tips and tricks and techniques and resources needed to um, solve for that, right? Because that discrepancy is not, it's not good for the overall general society, right? Yeah. Impact of income inequality is what hurts just America completely because we're a thriving middle-class nation, right? The strength of our market is in the strength of our middle-class. So when you have a middle-class that's hurt, um, you have to aggressively solve for that. Um, and so, like I've always said, entrepreneurship is a vehicle to do that. I love that. So what advice would you give to other black entrepreneurs who don't have a, a clear path to finding their own purpose or their own success in the business world? I, you know, if, if I'm coming up to you, what are you going to say to me if I'm a black business owner? I, I, I would say stop seeking so much advice, actually. <laughs> and start doing because part of entrepreneurship is confidence. And I think what's what's happened now is there's an insecurity that sits in the minority community around entrepreneurship. And that's why, you know, I always say they're over mentored and under resourced, right? Stop aggressively seeking advice <laughs> and, I love that. And, and really start doing and, and have long looks in the mirror. And I spent a lot of time praying, I can tell everyone that, um, and find that in yourself because that'll start to lead you down the right path. Um, because what, what we're focused on here is impact. So find the folks that are gonna help you with impact, find within yourself and understand what barriers do you need to alleviate in order to make impact. Um, and that doesn't always come with, you know, a lot of programs that just wanna give you great advice or mentorship. Um, <laughs> I like that. Yeah. I, I think um, I'm guilty of it too, just in, in general, you know, it's like, I, I could maybe look too far, too wide, ask too many people for their advice, their guidance, their, as opposed to just saying, no, I have the confidence in myself to say, no, I'm going to go do this. You know, I'm going to get it done. I'm going to give it a go. It's like, you're waiting for everybody, every single piece to be in place, every single person to give you that yeah, go for it, you know, and you have to have that confidence in yourself for sure. Because that's the goal, right? It's a race to actually make the mistakes so that you can improve. <laughs> so, yes. so I'm I'm like, I know I'm going to mess up. I'm just trying to mess up faster, usually. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Mess up faster, at. yeah. Uh, looking back, what do you think has been your greatest obstacle? You know, whether that was your time at West Point, your time afterwards, like what's been your greatest obstacle in life? I think it was trusting my my purpose. Right. So that's why I, that was the advice that I give, because I was guilty of that. I was looking everywhere else, trying to find um, confidence is what I was looking for. Um, I was looking for somebody to reinforce what I already knew um, and so that I could go off and do it. And, and I think that was my big battle because, you know, I was a medical discharge coming out. So my my military time was cut was cut short. And that was something that always bothered me. Right. It was like I felt that. I had more to serve, like I wanted to serve more. And it was like uh, unfinished business <laughs> for me. So I had to really seek out like, how am I going to do that in a non-military way, right? Because it's so clear on how you're serving and why in, in right. the military. It's, it's an amazing institution that's been around forever and, and they have it down. Um, and I was a little bit lost. And, and what I had to realize was, I just genuinely love solving problems for people. So I just, I said, you have to just listen for the problems. So I was having conversations with everyone 
to find out what problems they were having so that I could come up with solutions. And then I wanted to see, well, do a lot of people have that same problem? Do even more? And that became the thing that I would work on. So yeah. I'm, more, I'm more obsessed with people's problems. And I, I had to find that and I had to get that confidence to know that that's who I was as an individual. And I imagine that that's um, part of the reward you get out of the life you're living now. You, you know, you're serving others. And, um, and I always say, like, listen, at the end of the day, like, um, you can serve others and you can say it's about the idea that you're, you're serving others. And it's, it very much is, but it also feels good to serve, right? Like it brings you something. It brings you that satisfaction to know that you're giving back every day, um, that you're finding that purpose through being able to help others. So, um, I love that, you know, while being medically discharged out of West Point, you found another way to serve. And that's what I'm always trying to impress upon, uh, the, the, when I'm, when I have the opportunity to speak with youth, I always say, listen, I'm not here to tell you my brother's story. So you join the military. Uh, certainly I think it's a great path, but I'm not telling you to join the military, but I'm sharing his story with you. So you understand that you can be a servant leader in your own backyard. You know, you don't have to join the military to do that. And, and I love this kind of full circle approach where you found that service through others. Uh, through doing something else outside of the military. It's really cool. You should be, it's, it's very admirable for sure. I mean, it, you know, I, I love that you, you know, you called it for what it is, right? It still is selfish, right? And it like, and it's okay. I want, I really want people to know it's okay to be selfish, right? Because, yeah. you, you know, there's a reason they tell you to, you know, put your mask on first when you, you know, if an airplane is going down, right? You have to kind of protect your, your being and your energy, Um and as long as it's not hurting others, like that's completely okay. My selfish need came from actually helping, but I get tons to your point, gratification off of helping others. That's why I love teaching, right? And I do it for free at USC because as much as they think I'm giving them information, I'm actually taking their energy, right? I'm receiving it and I'm feeling so energized and motivated after a class that I feel like I should have paid them. Like, I'm like, oh my God, I should have paid these students because of what they just gave me, right? And, and that's why I keep doing it, right? It's the gratification that I get. So yeah, I think we're always, you know, all of us are trying to find that alignment, uh, you know. In yeah, I love it. Keenan. this has been an awesome conversation. I'm so glad uh, I had the opportunity to speak with you. I love everything you're doing. We're certainly going to push people to check out Venture Noir, learn more about that. And, and again, I love how, you're, you're trying to play a part in a bigger societal issue. Yep. Um, I think it's, it's super cool. Uh, I want to leave you with one last question. I ask everybody as we're closing out the show, what does living a resilient life look like for you? Ooh. I think for me, um, the journey of entrepreneurship. So I'll, I'll take off the nonprofit hat for a second, right? And and talk as, as a peer to a lot of the folks that, that we're helping. Uh, the journey of entrepreneurship is, is a never ending journey, right? It's a journey of like getting up and knowing that you got a battle on your hands and it's getting out of bed each and every day. You know, and I, I think I've gotten really big on uh, behavioral health and, and talking with a lot of my friends that have been going through different things and having open conversations and what, 
entrepreneurship to me is about is grit and that toughness of getting up every day to serve. And I feel like that's what we all do, right? That's what we do as Americans. That's what we do as humans. Um, if you're faith-based like I am, that's what you do as a Christian. It's finding ways to get up and serve. And that's the life that I want to live um, and that I'm continuing to strive to do and I'm encouraging everyone to do. So it's just getting up and just know you're going to face whatever it is. That's right. Getting up. I say it all the time. Um, I could have very easily pulled the covers over my head after my brother was killed. Yeah. And I made the decision to take the covers off and to get out of bed and to face the day. So um, I feel you on that. I get you completely. And I love how, again, you can take that back to entrepreneurship. Like you, you got to get up, right? You got to keep going. Keenan, thank you so much for joining us. This has been an awesome conversation. It's been great to, to hear from you. Um, we're going to push people to uh, all of the different things that you have going on. We didn't even touch on some of the uh, for-profit businesses you have running, but you're doing a ton of stuff. It's awesome work. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, please make sure to like, subscribe, and share The Resilient Life with your friends and family and look forward for you to hear this incredible uh, episode. Thanks so much.